Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast with a bunch of writers who sit around, drink tasty beverages, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. There will be rants and raves and opinions that do not agree but are lovingly delivered. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's writing bench is David Welch, John Schmidt, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 155, Interview with Don Fike. Welcome, Don. Oh, happy to meet you all. <laughs> We're <laughs> delighted to have you. We understand that you are actually not just a writer, but also enjoy book clubs. So clearly you're a devourer of books as well. Absolutely. It's really fun. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I'm, yes, I met, I met Don at my, uh, what, all of second uh meeting of this book club that I went to and, and I just have to plug this idea because it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, this book club meets at a different microbrewery every month. It's like, I found my people. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely I, a lot of fun. It's the North County beer and book club uh, caught my eye five years ago and I, I have never regretted joining them. They, they are really a lot of fun. So after five years, have you returned to any of the beer places? We, we reached a moment uh, at the end of the last meeting where we realized that we had hit every uh, brewery in the North County and we're starting over again from the beginning. What about wine bars and distilleries? Are you thinking of branching out, you know, poetry, short stories, that kind of thing? We do, we do hit those uh, from time to time. It's mainly uh, breweries, but we have hit, um, you know, mead. Uh, and and uh, sour sour beers and wines and all that sort of thing. Kombuchas are big down here too. There's several kombucha kombucheries. Yes, a kombucherie is that a word? Uh, it is now. <laughs> the writer started. said it. It must um, be so. Kombucheria. <laughs> Yum. I love the idea. I also was really enjoying a lot of the photography. So it looks like from coming into writing later, you've started off and have amazing photography out there. Well, thank you very much. I, I really enjoy that. That's always been kind of my passion. Um, had to make a living uh, as a uh, both a photographer and an art director. But uh, when I retired, I really always wanted to do writing as well. So here I am. So one of those creative people that does creative stuff. Well, I, I try, I have fun. That's the first thing that happens. And then if anybody likes Excellent. it after that, it's a bonus. Well, it seems that you have an interesting middle area in between where you've gone from art to literature. And it seemed to be, you had a set that I loved out there that was picture with six words describing it. And, and I've seen a little bit of this done on Twitter, like write a story of this picture in six words, but you take that a little bit further, and that's kind of neat and fun. Yeah, that was a, a fun thing over at the uh, Oceanside Museum of Art, um, where you had to make the, the print a certain size, and you had to have six words with it, and it was uh, juried, and, and uh, that piece got into uh, into the show. And it, it's, it's really a challenge, but it's kind of like short fiction. <laughs> Very is, short. Now, we <laughs> yeah. have music juries, and I've, and they have court juries. Tell me about art juries. Uh, well, it, usually they bring in someone from uh, either another um, venue, like a, a gallery or uh, art educator, you know, from college, junior college, something like that. It just all depends on on uh, which 
sometimes the gallery owners are the ones that uh, actually do the juries, but usually like uh, Oceanside uh, Museum of Art, they uh, always invent, uh, invent, I'm sorry, invite people from outside uh, based on, you know, their credentials and, and experience and things like that and bring them in as a, um, you know, non-biased person to judge the artwork and select the ones that are going to be in the show. And it's interesting as well, because I'm seeing more with, with places like Instagram and other places that are more, there's picture and words. It's starting to kind of blur towards almost a new genre. Yes. Well, you know, it goes back to the, I think one of the most powerful connections there is, which is the image and language. And of course, that's also known as advertising. Uh, <laughs> that's true. And, and, and we uh, can go on about subliminal advertising on another one. Yes. That's a whole other show. So, so where did you get started when you started writing? Um, did you start with short stories as well before you launched into this, your first book? Yes. I've, I've always worked with short stories or uh, a little poetry or, or just, uh, you know, free writing, that kind of stuff. Um, really enjoyed uh, short stories, um, but got to the point where I felt like sometimes I wanted to um, uh, expand on details and things like that. And the short story really doesn't uh, uh, give you that that room and space to do that. So that's what kind of pushed me more and more toward uh, trying a novel. And um, uh, I have to admit it was overwhelming <laughs> when I started. <laughs> and uh, it's been, it's been a, uh, I, I'm just amazed how much I've learned. And the fact that I'm still interested in continuing and, and doing more because uh, it was not easy. It was very challenging and there was just a lot of stops and starts, but um, I'm so glad that I persevered and, and got through it. Absolutely. So you, you started off writing, I think you told me in leading up to this, there was a group called Bust Out Stories and you had us, was it a self-published zine or an official zine? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was like uh, he would run a class for about three months. And during that time, we would all write uh, short stories and critique each other's stories and then uh, we would select stories to go into the final magazine for that that class and then self-publish it and uh, distribute it and th things like that. It was in San Rafael. So and, uh, sounds like you're an advocate for workshops then. That, that's a good place for a new writer to get going? Yes, I think so. I mean, especially if it's constructive criticism. Um, you know, you, you always need feedback. Uh, being a photographer and an artist, I've been, you know, the life of rejection is, is part of the territory. <laughs> so uh, I don't have too much of a problem with that. I've, I've, I've you know, grown a thick skin. Um, so, you know, it's, it's uh, I like critiques where they're honest, straightforward and, and constructive. And uh, that's, that's all that you can ask from anybody, really. It's true. So your first novel here, uh, thank you for sending us a copy. I got through the first couple chapters. The Merry-Go-Round is the name of it. Yes. Tell me about what came first, the book or the title? Well, uh, the title came way later. Uh, I went on untitled for several years. Um, the ideas, the things that I, were interest, I was in, in, interested in, um, my favorite sci-fi movies are, are the Blade Runner uh, one and two and uh, Avatar and things like that. I mean, for me, those are the kind of the benchmarks. And I've always been interested in, in robots and um, uh, robot love and, and uh, also the, the idea of uh, 
what it would be like in the future when, when everything's very advanced. So this story is kind of like a, a story about a turf war on the edge of the galaxy uh, and a, the merry-go-round, which is almost like a uh, futuristic uh, truck stop where people stop to, you know, get repairs, get refueled and maybe have a little bit of fun. Yeah. I got through the first couple of chapters too so far. And um, I, I mean, to me, it started reading like, um, or started out anyway, like a, just kind of a good old fashioned um, space opera. But yes. for what you're saying, you're, uh, you're, it sounds like your tastes run more to dark, um, the darker side of, uh, of science fiction, maybe. So well, do I have that to look forward to in the later chapters? Or? Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's, uh, there's dark and there's light. And <laughs> well, the, uh, no, I mean, the, uh, the, the, the one thing that I was thinking about, too, was like, okay, so today, we know what drug pushers are like. We know what drugs, how drugs affect, affect people. What what would it be like in the future? And of course, I'm I'm sure pills and shots and all that kind of stuff would still be around for humans. But what about for robots? And uh, that's where I came up, uh, where I connected the dots with uh, one of the other things I I got stuck on, which is is crazy. Uh, in Mexico, they have a a um, <laughs> kind of like a drinking game. I don't know if they still do it or not, but you could, you used to be able to go into uh, Tijuana bars and there would be a um, uh, shocks for sale. Mm-hmm. And what these are, are basically bat- battery powered um, little uh, transformers that uh, you would hold on to two metal, <laughs> metal uh, pieces of metal that are hooked up to this box. And uh, for, 200 pesos, uh, this guy would basically shock you and the, and the game would be at the table, you know, who's, who's, who's the uh, bigger man who can h- handle the bigger shock and so on and so forth. Uh, <laughs> that sounds I mean, I, Wait a second. They, I remember this in, this wasn't just there. This was out in Colorado at like places that had a lot of video <laughs> games. And it yeah. was a sheer vibration of who could hold on to it longer with the vibration and oh, shocks. I mean, well, the, the research I did, I've had a bunch of articles. And I mean, they even got into things of, of people holding their hands in, in big circles and seeing yep. how much they could run through <laughs> four or yeah. five people. And so, I mean, this whole thing of electrically stimulating yourself and all that kind of stuff, um, the connection I made between that and, and the story was the fact that I wanted Booster Bob to be kind of like, uh, I think one of the nicknames I gave him was a highlighter. That That's kind of the slang for the time for a person who uh, is an expert at, at uh, basically getting people high. And especially he used to, he was specialized with uh, uh, robots. And the way that he would do that is to take this book, this box that he called Sparky, um, and uh, he would basically, you know, connect up to the robot and through analyzing their internal algorithms and their makeup and all that sort of thing, he could actually dial in kind of an ecstasy type of thing for them. And that's kind of the setting for the story where he where he starts, he lands on this thing called the merry-go-round, which everybody knows it's famous. It's out on the fringe of the galaxy and it's run by Sophie, Sophia, who is a, a freebot who has actually broker control programming and is, is a self-sustainable person and basically owns and runs the place. 
And then it turns into a battle about someone who wants to take it over, uh, so on and so forth. But yeah. so, so that's, that's, that's kind of how, how it got started. So it sounds like it has elements of this kind of ties into a, our book club again, because the last, the last book that we um, um, looked at at the book club was um, uh, the first book in the Murderbot series by... Um, Martha Wells. Martha Wells. Also, yeah. also, yeah. I was going to ask. I was going to ask if that influenced the novel at all, because there were some. There were some similar themes and so forth, including what made me think of this was the the whole idea of um, um, sentient artificial intelligences who weren't necessarily, you know, carbon based or whatever, and what rights they have and all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, no, I had not read that story until we just read it for the book club. But, you know, obviously I've read a, a, a bunch of different uh, things. And like I say, the uh, the Blade Runner, I really like that. That's, yeah, right. Of I was course, amazed at the second one I thought was, as, you know, I, I didn't think I didn't know if they could come close to the first one, but I thought they I thought they did a really good job. The movie Her, Spike Jones, where um, basically I think it was Joaquin Phoenix is in love with a virtual AI that she doesn't have a body at all, but she certainly develops a personality. And I got that same sort of dark idea of it could be, what if there were consciousnesses and, you know, couldn't the same computer be in love with many people at the same time? And, and at scale, maybe I started thinking too much of cloud computing. You no, could that's, that's a, that's a classic, and I, I love that movie. I thought that was really well done. And the fact that she kind of matured and moved on and left him behind, <laughs> which was brutal. But, uh, yes, I mean, I, I just love those kinds of uh, possibilities of that any, there's, you know, no limits to the imagination of what, what could be. Yeah. So how did you do this? This has clearly been a labor of, you know, your first full-length novel you mentioned a couple of years. Yes. We have had all challenges writing and focusing during COVID. Tell us how you pushed through it. Well, luckily, I started before the pandemic hit, and um, I was filled with all kinds of uh, doubt and uh, didn't know how to approach this, how to work, and all that sort of thing. So I... You know, I obviously did a lot of research, a lot of reading. Um, luckily, I also found a really good tool to work with, uh, which I think saved my life. Uh, Scrivener. I don't know if you've heard of that. Uh, we indeed have heard of Scrivener. <laughs> it's good to read another devotee of the Scrivener altar. They should be paying us royalties when <laughs> yeah. you talk about it so much. Exactly. Well, you talk about it so much. We should get a cut. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I don't. I don't see how you know people without that. Can, can keep all the pieces together and keep it organized and, uh, you know, keep the thing flowing. Cause that, that really saved me, uh, be able to put everything in one, one place and be able to, you know, access it and all, all that sort of thing. Uh, the other thing that I did, and this got me through the COVID thing, um, was, uh, because I was so, um, what's the word? Uh, not confident <laughs> that I could sustain this over a long period of time. I, I ended up uh, setting really low daily, you know, require, well, first of all, trying to establish a writing, a regular writing uh, routine, as you all know, is uh, not easy to do. And then once you've done that, you know, do you base it on hours? Do you base it on words or do you just write and so on and so forth? So I ended up, 
coming up with a very low uh, word count, like 500 words a day. Now, many days I wrote more than that. But uh, with Shrivener, you know, by setting that 500 word a day kind of uh, mark to hit, uh, I always felt like I had a good day if I could get past that. And, uh, you know, over time, uh, literally two years, that that uh, it really worked. And uh, the way COVID fell into it was almost, it was almost an escape from COVID um, for me. I found myself, uh, once I sat down and, and, and got started and got into it, it was, you know, like going to another universe. And I found that um, very comforting and very um, rewarding during that whole time. I, I you know, I, it was already rewarding because I was finally getting things, you know, rolling. But uh, when the COVID hit and I couldn't go anywhere anyway, uh, it just seemed like a nice uh, side door escape into um, you know another world uh, with characters and, and storyline and all that sort of thing. So I I really enjoyed it and um, it really you know worked out. Did you work with beta readers or tell me about your process of, okay, you've got a chapter. Where did you, where did you use some of what you'd learned in workshops in writing it? Um, I wanted to do the, uh, um, you know, the shitty first draft, um, Annie Lamott's famous words. Um, so I, I did not uh, change anything as I wrote. Uh, well, I mean, other than obvious, you know, <laughs> mistakes that you you spot immediately as you're writing. But generally speaking, I did not do any um, uh, revision or rewriting. I, I basically just kind of got it down, all down on paper. And um, I'm basically at the point now where after I've reviewed it a couple times and rewritten some things, it hasn't been obviously, as you well know, hasn't been uh, professionally edited yet and cleaned up and all that sort of thing. But um, I'm doing beta reading now, getting people just to see, you know, what the reaction is to, to the story, uh, to see if see what the interest is and see what the feedback is. So I've, I've kind of put that all off until now, and then now I'm I'm uh, and because this is the first time, uh, I'm spending an awful lot of time of uh, researching self-publishing uh, versus uh, regular publishing and all that sort of thing as well, and probably will go through the self-publishing route, I think, at this point. So the so the draft that we're reading is actually a pretty raw um, yes. a raw draft. Then. Right. Okay. What made you decide, I mean, which, which books are you reading? We're very curious about your tools and saying, which made you think, yeah, maybe I'm going to go ahead and self-publish versus surfing around for an agent? There's, a, there's this one woman I follow um, that um, has put out a number of different books. Um, and she just, she literally just published this book because she's gone through the self-publishing thing. And uh, I found it just very useful um, so far. And um, so I'm, I'm like halfway through it trying to figure out, uh, and obviously Scrivener also has some bonus things in it for formatting and, and, and will save you some of the work getting there, but you still have to do the copy editing and the editor editing and, and so on and so forth. So um, I'm still always to go. So I'm focusing right now just on the beta testing as our beta readers um, at this point. That makes sense. And I do love the Scrivener does have make it so easy to publish and you pick your format and not to be an advertisement for them, but it's very cool. <laughs> Dude, that ship has already sailed. I know, right? 
That's well, the funniest that's thing. Is I honestly, I tried to use it, but it didn't work well for me because I didn't think in terms of writing up little character cards, et cetera. But I bet it'd be great for a screenplay. Oh, it's, so. yeah. I mean, I would think so. I, it's just, I finally found the woman's name. It's Christine Kiefer, K-I-E-F-F-E-R. And she has a site that's called Well Storied. Well Storied. Yeah. And what did you love about it? I just love, uh, she's put out a whole bunch of stuff over her writing career about writing and uh, has been very helpful. And she's just recently kind of changed her attitude and, and gotten much more, um, <laughs> what's the right word, frank about what she writes about and how she says it. And I just love it because it's kind of like, you know, all these years she's been very nice and very courteous and very all this stuff. And oh. give you the information. And finally, all of a sudden, it's like, no, oh, the hell with it. You know, I'm just going to tell you the way it is. <laughs> Somebody else who finally ran out of fucks to give. Yeah. <laughs> it happens to everybody. <laughs> exactly. So I, I like her even more now than I did, which I, I like, you know, what she had to share. So is this, I mean, because clearly when you hit the world building stage, it's bigger. Are you thinking series or are you thinking what's, what's your next idea for a topic or. That's a really good question. I, I didn't really write it with a, a series in mind, but um, because of the ending uh, I could, I could definitely, you'll know, see that going further, but I'm just uh, right now, I want to kind of regather and uh, let my imagination play again. It's almost like photographing, it's like I have to be in the right kind of situation to, uh, you know, let ideas uh, come to the surface and then play around and see if I can connect dots and all that kind of stuff. Well, you, and, you'll pardon me if I don't wish for two more years of COVID. So what's your plan B? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it, it's, uh, I mean, I do want to write another one and I don't know whether it's going to be a continuation uh, on from this one or, or not. In fact, I'm interested in reading the, the, the book that we just read, the all systems read, because uh, right. they're short enough books to see how the other how how that gets handled, um, because it it um, you know it is a little bit of a challenge to obviously uh, write uh, a series like that. So I'm mm -hmm. not I'm still not sure. I want to see what the reaction to the first one is, and then uh, uh, give myself a couple options on which direction to go. Cool. Are you working on anything right now? Uh, just some short stories for the time being to kind of keep my hand moving <laughs> while my brain is trying to figure out where I'm going next. Are you, you see yourself mostly in sci-fi or are there, are there genres or nonfiction or? Um, I, I mean, I love sci-fi. So I thought I was, you know, safe start, especially, you know, with that. And uh, that seemed to work out. Okay. I don't know. That's, that's why I want to kind of give myself some time to think about, um, you know, maybe, maybe going a totally different direction. I don't know. That's why I'm, I'm hesitant to kind of commit which way or, or, you know, what I'm going to be writing about. So I'm kind of at a sweet spot. I like, I mean, I like that before the next surge. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, just to see um, uh, what piques my interest and, and so on and so forth. And what advice would you give to somebody who maybe has written a few short stories, but is thinking, okay, I think I have a, something longer in me. What, what would you say to that person? What should they read or what should they start? Well, um, the process is, is the thing that puzzled me at the beginning. And I, you know, I read a bunch of things 
Um, one of the one of the ones that um, made a lot of sense to me was the snowflake um, method, or you know, where you kind of start out with a sentence and then you add to that and you keep building. Now, I didn't use that, <laughs> but it, at the time, it it kind of made sense to me as is not a bad bad way to kind of start. Um, but for me, I'm I'm a panster, so I I don't like outlining. I find myself. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, of course, I run the danger of, of not, you know, ending up in a dead end and not being able to get out of it. But I, I really relish the idea of just writing and going through a series of things and then seeing where that leads and seeing where that leads and so on and so forth. Now, sometimes, I mean, in this book, I kind of had a, you know, a general idea that it would somehow end up back at the merry-go-round with, you know, kind of the final confrontation. But other than that, just generally, I didn't, you know, I had a, had no idea of, of what was going to happen in between there and how, how it would get there. <laughs> so, you know, I, I would say read different, different ways of the way people do it. Find out, try and find out whether you're an outliner or a panster or some, something in between. Um, or, We've you know. heard advice that people have had of write the synopsis first and other people have said, try writing an outline. So I, I love that you're truly illustrating. There is no one way. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, whatever works <laughs> for you <laughs> yeah. is, is the right way to go because um, I've, I've tried, you know, all of it. And it just seems like uh, at times, I mean, sometimes I will, I will outline, you know, like a couple things, um, uh, because I've got a couple of ideas to at least the next couple scenes or something, but then I'll, I'll just let that, you know, uh, go and then see where that points to next. And then that's, that's when sometimes the magic happens. And that's, that's the fun part. That's the part that I really enjoy. I was going to draw a corollary between that and, and shooting fight art uh, photography. One thing I find when I go out to shoot someplace and it can be in the backyard, it could be on a trip, it could be anywhere. I find that it takes me like 15 to 20 minutes, maybe even a half an hour of just kind of shooting whatever until I get into this kind of, well, in writing, it's called The Flow. I think that's the new popular book or whatever about where you just all of a sudden you start seeing things in a different uh, perspective, a different light and and not the normal way that you normally walk down the street or whatever. And the same thing kind of goes for the writing. It's you just kind of keep going and, and see what happens. And, you know, when you, when you stop and you look up and it's been two or three hours of writing and you didn't even know it was, that, you know, it was happening, uh, usually that's a pretty good sign. It does sound good. Yeah. Well, we will put interesting things, including your photography and the website, which is www.ridersdrinkingcoffee.com. Thank you so much for joining with us today. It is always great to get a new perspective of a new, somebody who's finished their first novel. Congratulations. Well, thank you very, very much. Good talking to you. Excellent. Glad to have you here. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is done by Deirdre Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spiders are Dave Welsh and John Schmidt. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking the Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Langberg. You can hear more from Michael Langberg on minihatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsors are Jackal Designs and Arm Street in Ukraine. Have a great day, and thanks for listening. <laughs>